Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. How are you? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. You have found yourself listening to episode 56. I'm actually going to stop doing the edition things that I used to do. Like I used to call it like a certain edition of the podcast. I'm just going to put in the title that I'm still going to number podcast. So this is still episode 56. So which flows on from episode 55 the week prior, but I'll no longer be giving it some kind of silly name or edition. And so the title will just tell you a little bit about what's going to be discussed on the show. I guess to give you an idea of whether you're interested in it or not, maybe to attract some new listeners as well who might find those topics interesting. So just a heads up, doesn't really affect you, but um, yeah, thought, thought I'd let you know. Got plenty on this episode and we're going to focus mostly here at home in Australia with the talk about the, sort of the markets in the last week and sort of what, what, what I, at least what I called the tug of war that's going on. Um, there and a little, a tiny bit of macro, but then we'll mostly just focus on some of the, I guess, some of the bigger company news uh, during the week that was. But that is just about enough of an intro right there. Thank you for tuning in. As always, my name is Dion Gribben. You are listening to the Market Podcast, and this is episode 56. Okay, so surveying the week that was looking at the major indices first. So the ASX 200, it slightly was up. It was up 0.2%. The NASDAQ was up also. It was up 0.31%. The S&P 500, however, it was actually down. So it was down 0.43%. So a bit of a mixed bag there. Our markets only edged a slight positive for the week. The NASDAQ also pretty much a slight positive for the week. And that was kind of a welcome change for the NASDAQ because they've been on weekly skids for about a, a few weeks now, almost I'd say about a month now. The S&P 500 was not able to climb into positive territory for the week. And not that we usually speak about the Dow Jones, but it was the same. It was down for the week. And there's, as I said at the top of the show, there's this tug of war going on. I'm not sure if that's the best analogy, but <laughs> there's these competing forces uh, happening in financial markets and among, I guess what I'd say, investor psyche right now. And that is this narrative of the economy and economies and countries opening up post-COVID-19 lockdowns of 2020, uh, vaccinations rolling out, employment continuing to improve. It's not all rosy, of course. Travel, especially, say, international travel remains quite, I guess, the idea of that happening on a, on a scale similar to pre-COVID, I, you'd be quite sceptical that that happens anytime soon, uh, especially from our vantage point here in Australia. The idea of going to, say, somewhere in Europe still seems quite a little far off, but I guess the optimistic analyst would argue that of course, financial markets are forward-looking and the idea that we could start to open travel up, perhaps be allowed to fly somewhere like London when you've been vaccinated and you can show that you've been vaccinated. Uh, you should see, maybe you could see these kind of plans start to take shape over the next 
uh, year. Of course, it doesn't cancel the danger of our little small local outbreaks that have occurred in Australia in places like Perth and Sydney and Brisbane in the last couple of months. And, you know, you probably expect that the reactions and the response will be the same in that it's a quite a small but sharp lockdown. So those risks remain. Uh, but the nar- narrative is focused on forward-looking, optimistic idea that we are at the very least emerging from the depths of COVID-19. Now, I say that I give you a positive, optimistic outlook, understanding full well that someone living in Brazil or India at the moment might feel very differently. But the point of this is just to paint a picture of how uh, markets and some market participants are survey- surveying the landscape, I guess. And so there's that, there's that side of the tug of war and that has helped drive up uh, stocks that we've seen over the past couple of months, like especially the banks, they've, they've been on a crazy run. Um, energy stocks, broadly speaking, the, the kind of like kind of like long-term value style stocks that generally just benefit, benefit from healthy macro and a growing economy. The other side of this tug of war, I, again, I don't know if that's the right analogy, but I'm just going to keep using it. The other side is this risk of inflation. So the economy perhaps getting a bit too hot, uh, supply chain disruptions, putting a bit of a dent in how that recovery goes and how smooth it is. This is the other side of the tug of war because sustained increase inflation and a, and a rise in interest rates start to hurt the higher flying growth stocks like those in the technology and healthcare sectors because their future cash flows from a valuation perspective become a little less enticing. And again, I'm on the record in this podcast uh, expressing skepticism of any kind of sustained inflation. The The supply chain disruption stuff interests me because my, reason, my reasoning personally for being skeptical on inflation is slack in the labor market and wage growth being quite low. But supply chain disruption has caused issues globally, especially where demand has increased for certain items, but they're just simply not being made available at least in enough quantity uh, to meet that demand. A a good example uh, over the last 12 months continues to happen is the new vehicle market. New vehicles both wholly and then say the individual parts used in the production, they were of course, impacted by supply chain problems because these are international businesses. This caused flow-on effects to the used car market uh, and there was upward pressure placed on used cars because new cars had very long wait times. And I mean, really, they still have very long wait times. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day, actually, who's on this like five or so month wait list for a particular car. And some people don't want to wait. Um, so say if there was people like say chasing a four wheel drive because they want to go camping with the family, they would just decide to buy a, a secondhand one, maybe one that's a couple of years old instead. The, the issue is that a lot of people start doing this and then it puts uh, price pressure on the used car market. So that's a very individual example of how supply chain disruption can cause you know, upward pricing pressure on items. But Circling back to the market, this will continue to be a theme because when high growth stocks such as tech and healthcare started faltering and pulling back, which I kind of kicked off 
really around February, it was never likely going to be, be just some kind of quick pullback um, because the market is, is definitely still watching the this inflation narrative play out and watching to see if it will be as bad as some commentators tend to believe. Perhaps inflation does uh, come back in a, I guess, a more meaningful manner or perhaps it won't really rear its head as much as people think at all. I guess the question is how much of an impact will it continue to play on investor sentiment, uh, especially as we continue to to move through this period of vaccinations and economies reopening all around the world. So now last week, if you actually go and check out a chart of the primary US benchmark, the S&P 500, and you could compare that to the ASX 200 from last week as well, you'll see that we very much followed the same lead. It was we're off to a rocky start at the the start of the week and then a big drop around midweek, so around Wednesday. Here in Australia, our benchmark fell 1.9% on that day alone, which is a really big fall. And then we recovered most of it, not all of it, but most of it on Thursday and then we're up a little bit again on Friday. So the other that's the reason I tied that in there is because the other side to this tug of war, so to speak, is volatility. So investors change their mind on stocks and perhaps rotate out of some stocks and into others or reevaluate their thesis on you know interest rates and and inflation. We're going to see volatility markets that will likely wreak a little havoc on your portfolio on a day-to-day basis depending on how you're personally invested. I have a little bit of a mix in that like I have I guess what you would call like a blue chip or safe investments in in my portfolio. I even have just a broad Australian index-based ETF as well as a US one as well. So those are relatively slow moving and um, not volatile, I should say. Uh, the other the other side, I do have a few high growth oriented stocks in my portfolio and those would be the ones, especially for me at the moment, that are giving or likely to give the wild swings at this time. That's a little reflection on what's happening it kind of just continues to happen at the moment and I don't think it's necessarily going to go away anytime soon. But that's been the markets over the last little, well, that's the last week, but really over the last little while. I'll move on to a little bit of macro news here in Australia and it's quite a nice segue because it actually speaks to the topic that we were just on, like inflation. And that is the, there was was new data coming out from the ABS on wage growth and that was for the March quarter and you might want to call it wage growth. You might want to call it lack thereof, but depending on how I guess you see it, but there, there's still not much happening there. So the primary measure that the ABS uses, the wage price index, it rose 0.6% in March, which uh, gives us an annual growth rate. Um, so up and annual up until the end of that quarter of four, uh, sorry, 1.5%. Now it should be noted in the data, you can see that for the private sector, it has slightly ticked back up from the lows it was on but that is not the case for the public sector they are are lagging a little bit Um, but regardless annual wage growth right now as it stands is at the lowest it has been in decades so this next little bit's from Reuters and explains it a little bit better than me so quote annual wage growth inched up 1.5 percent slightly above the record low pace of 1.4 percent in the fourth quarter the public sector recorded its lowest annual rate of growth at 1.5%, while the private sector remained at 1.4% for the second quarter in a row. 
And they just go on further to note that this is half the rate that the Reserve Bank of Australia has said is needed to generate inflation, meaning policy will need to stay accommodative for a long time to come. So that is, that's an indicator that we're going to monitor closely over the next year or so. And it's one that's very much tied to the idea of inflation or inflationary pressure and, and central banks uh, increasing interest rates in that debate and just their general impact on financial markets. But so far, wage growth remaining quite muted, at least for now. Okay, so we're going to go over some news from the week that was. We'll focus on some company-specific stuff and especially touch on uh, companies that we've mentioned on the show before as well. So in episode 50, we actually mentioned that uh, the app Airtasker, they had their IPO on the ASX. Airtasker is like this online marketplace where you can like outsource jobs or just everyday tasks for other people to come and complete for you like even just something little like you just need part of your stairs outside fixed or so I don't know I'm just trying to make stuff up as I go but it just lets you outsource little jobs or things that you're trying to get done for other people to do they are still trading above their IPO issue price uh, so their IPO price was 65 cents if you bought into that this week they've closed at a dollar eight but for context, it has settled down from a much bigger highs. So it's still higher than what the IPO price was. But when it first debuted, it jumped up like to around like a dollar seventy-five. So it was crazy up. And then it sort of sat around dollar forty, around dollar thirty. Then it's kind of slowly simmered down, and it's now closed last week at a dollar eight. But this week, or last week now, Airtasker they were in the news for announcing a capital raising with investors. And it's only been a few months since they've been on the ASX and this is their first capital raising. I can't be frankly honest and say it was a little concerning to see them come to the table so quickly after an IPO for a further capital injection. The company themselves, they say they're tracking uh, to, to continue to push their international operations and grow them further. And this comes after a $3.4 million acquisition of a US app called Zali. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think I am, which is similar. It's not identical to, they do they point out some of the differences in the way that Zali operated compared to Airtasker. Um, but those kind of international operations, they say, are moving a little bit quicker um, than initially anticipated. So this capital raise injection is to help cover the purchase of that US business, but also to keep pushing the international growth side of their business. I think though, if you're a shareholder, I'm pretty sure this raising, so this raising is, they're raising $20.7 million at a dollar per share, but I don't think it's open to retail investors. I think it's just institutional and sophisticated investors. So you uh, you being an, a retail investor, because I doubt any instos are listening, <laughs> uh, you're probably going to miss out on this one. Uh, so me, I don't really have a position or opinion on Airtasker. It's interesting to watch from the sidelines uh, without knowing too much about the company itself. It does kind of intrigue me in a worrying way that they're doing a cap raise so early um, if they, they feel that they need to shore up their, their position. But 
if the payoff is increased growth and scale in overseas markets, then it, it could be a good good trade-off at the end of the day. But that's something we'll keep a keep a look at on. Moving on, we touched on a few weeks back a very specific or specific growth-orientated stocks that have been clear outperformers for investors across 2020, which have now pulled back significantly. One of those is Kogan, and it has continued to pull back, especially this week. It's closed down at the $8.70 mark, and it released some bad news to the market at the end of the week. Last time we spoke about Kogan, it was to do with demarriage fees. So this was fees that, the, that Kogan were occurring and these are fees related to shipping and logistics for and and fees where you're not getting stock from ships and shipyards on time or to the contracted time to to move that stock and into their warehousing. They touched on this to the market, but said that it was resolved in April. The the issue now is that demand has actually slowed down, and they actually have quite a high amount of stock sitting in their warehouses, which. Uh, for a business like Kogan that increases their expenses, they would much rather get that stock moving on the road to customers instead of having it lie around in a shed which costs them storage fees. Uh, a big reason for the slide uh, was the updated guidance for operational earnings. They've had to actually lower them than what they originally thought. I'll, I'll take this here from the AFR. It's by reporter Carrie LaFriends. Quote, adjusted earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization or the that's the acronym we say EBITDA for the year ending June 30 are likely to be 58 to 63 million and for context that is an 11 to 18% miss against the actual market expectations the company said and reading their market release directly they mentioned a few things worth keeping in mind if you're an investor this this little bit here stood out to me The company says here, quote, a key challenge caused by market dislocations as a result of COVID-19 has been managing inventory levels to support rapid growth. In order to provide the delivery experience customers desire, Kogan.com built up its inventory levels from late 2020, which has caused high warehousing costs that are continuing. Customer demand in April 2021 remained consistent with the levels seen in the three months to March 2021 and below the levels seen in the nine months to December 2020. So I think a big takeaway is the Kogan share price has sunk a little bit lower. It's probably not to rush too quickly into buying them if they are something that's on your agenda. The words that are coming from the company indicate that there's going to be some short-term pain. It might even get slightly a little bit worse. Depends how you read it, but I expressed a couple episodes back that I'd be adding Kogan and Redbubble to a watch list just to keep an eye on them over the coming months. On a side note, I actually did go ahead and purchase a little bit of Redbubble. They're a business I understand a little bit better, um, just from personally too, because I've actually used Redbubble. I've never actually used Kogan, um, but but I, I haven't or I have never owned Kogan shares. But they are interesting to me as a company because I think I think the long-term picture is still okay for a company like this, but it certainly seems like their short-term struggles might continue on for a little while longer, especially as they adjust to the changes in business brought about by COVID. Interesting enough, just sort of on a side note, the short interest, so the short selling interest on Kogan is actually very high right now. There's a fair bit of money betting against Kogan. As it stands, 
uh, Flight Center is the most shorted ASX 200 company, which seems fairly obvious, I guess, because large retail footprint in an industry that's been decimated. But Kogan has now become the second most shorted stock. Uh, it's not far behind Flight Center. And the news this week really helped push that back up there. That's not a comment on their value as a company. It's just interesting as an observation to see that some re, you know some investors think that it should probably even go lower than the point it's at now. Moving along, another one worth checking in on from their market update this week is our biggest airline in Australia, Qantas. They released an update and there's some interesting points to take here from this one. I guess that both relate to Qantas and but just... I guess how travel is going as well. Uh, so they've advised that this is specific to the company, of course, Qantas. They advise net debt levels to have actually peaked in February for the company and they will be free cash flow positive in this second half of the current financial year and that their net debt will actually lower from that $6.5 billion down to six or just a tad over $6 billion by December at the end of the year. So. So it shows there that they, um, I guess, as of this year or as of now, they're starting to to lower that net debt level that they were that they peaked on at February. They said that corporate travel for the Qantas business is now at seventy five percent of pre COVID levels, and they state they are on track to reach ninety five percent of pre COVID domestic capacity in the fourth quarter of this financial year. So there's some green shoots there i must admit i didn't think corporate travel would be back as much as 75 percent of pre-covid levels at this stage but there you go Uh, the other big note is that demand for australia that the routes between australia to new zealand and back again that is rebuilding steadily they say their freight services part of the business is and their Qantas loyalty programs rather uh, those two are performing well although that although i mentioned some of these positive things for Qantas, it probably feels wrong not to mention that, you know, due to the downturn uh, over the last 18 months thereabout, that they've actually shed about 8,500 jobs across the company. Interestingly enough, the update from Qantas also had some other news which impact other travel stocks in the ASX, like a flight center and a Webjet, for example. They announced in their market update, they said as part of reducing its costs of sale, Qantas will lower front-end commissions paid to travel agents on international tickets from 5% to 1%. Uh, The change won't take effect until July 2022, giving time for the industry to adapt. So not good news for for the likes of a flight center there. Secondly, they also said, and this doesn't help, I guess, flight centers and webjets either, they said that the international travel expectations They've, they've revised them, so their original, I guess, timeline was that it was going to get back to some significant level of international flying uh, in October 2021, and that's now moved to December 2021. My personal bet is it's not going to be until 2022, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but we'll see. So yeah, it's a little bit on how the market's been this week, but thank you so much for tuning into the podcast and tuning into episode 56 hopefully you're going to be okay without me creating these silly podcast names from now on um, but 
podcast's not going to change itself. It's just the the titles of them. So you'll, you'll notice that that updates on your podcast feed. But as always, please tell your friends to leave a uh, rating and review. Leave a rating and review yourself first and foremost if you have not done that, of course, on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for tuning in every week and for listening to the episode. My name is Dion. As I say, you're listening to the Market Pulse podcast and I will see you next week. Cheers.